So my theme is a very long and glorious sentence, which I've actually changing. So last time I spoke, I, I started on this, the supremacy of Christ in our thinking about the Bible and our experience of God. Supremacy of Christ in our thinking about the Bible and our experience of God. And, and, and we started to talk about covenant. And uh, we looked last time and we looked at actually the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is actually a book of covenants. It's not just a singular covenant. It's actually made up of several. The first one was God's covenant with Adam. Then there's a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses and Israel together, and then a covenant with David. And we, we we're, it, those of you who are doing the Hope Reads Bible reading, we've already gone through Matthew 1.1 where it says that Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And I explained why that's how the Holy Spirit inspired the start of the New Testament. Because to us it's like, oh, that's interesting. You know, he's in the bloodline of. But actually what it's saying is those covenants were all in tatters to Abraham and to David and actually to Moses. But Jesus came as their descendant, the seed of the promise to fulfill the covenants God had made with all of those people, some of them thousands of years before. So that So it's actually a powerful statement. It's not just a family statement. It's a statement that God is a covenant-keeping God. And although the people involved failed, so David's offspring failed, David's descendants failed, Abraham's descendants failed, the people of Israel consistently failed, God keeps his covenant. He keeps his bond. And we defined it as a bond made in blood with life or death consequences. And the reason for saying that is because in our culture, we don't, if we use the word promise or we use the word like agreement, it just isn't strong enough. God bound himself to these people and to the nation of Israel and he was never going to let it go. But there were consequences, there were life and death consequences if you didn't keep your part. And what we see littered through the Old Testament is mostly the death consequences of the people not keeping their part. And sometimes their part was very simple. Sometimes it was very complicated. So you get books like Leviticus with all the rules about what to do if you've got mildew in your house or you've got moldy clothes or what you do with lepers or on and on and on and on. But it's all God's covenant. And the heart, so the thing, by the time you get to Jesus, all of them are in tatters. All of them are in tatters. So for, Jesus, for, for Matthew to say, here is Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is a, a profound and exciting statement for anyone who knew about the promises of God to his people. Because this was, oh my goodness, it's not over. That had 400 years, the gap between the end of Malachi and the beginning of, 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 of Matthew is about 400 years of silence. God not speaking in any reliable form through prophets or, or others. And here comes Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. He's the one who's going to fix what everyone else had broken. And this is really uh, where, where we got to with this. And one of the things I just wanted to highlight is, is the heart of God doesn't change. What, 
what we highlighted as we looked at these covenants is what we experience of God appears to change depending what era of covenant we're in. And we find that confusing. So what was a, a big example used was like the, the change that happened with David and his tabernacle as opposed to Moses' tabernacle. So David does away with the Holy of Holies and he puts the ark on display and he has musicians and, and singers and dancers all going round the, 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 the naked ark of the covenant. Whereas in Moses' tabernacle, only one person a year went in front in, into it and they were afraid of dying. So they had a rope around their ankle so that if they died, they could pull them out so someone else didn't have to go in and risk death. That is somewhat of a change of experience. So the change from Moses' tabernacle to David's tabernacle is fear of death to experience of joy. Same God, different covenant. Do you see? Before, before the rainbow and Noah, God wiped out the earth. Afterwards, he was never going to do that again. He actually promised, every time you see that rainbow, it's a promise that God will not, he will not, doesn't matter how bad it gets on the earth, he will not step in in judgment again. He had a different plan to work out. So the experience of God changed. All those people died. That's never going to happen to us. You could come with joy in the presence of God in David's tabernacle. One person a year went with fear into the Holy of Holies. Same God, different covenant. And each covenant, we don't have time to go into all the changes and all the time, but we did enough last time to establish the developmental nature, how the heart of God is increasingly being revealed, but it also what is written changes. And, and we, we can't, it's very unhealthy to approach the Bible from the point of view of, I want to know about this thing, let me find all the verses across all the, all the books and give them equal weight. That's actually a bad way to do Bible study. You have to understand the developmental nature of God revealing himself from generation to generation, from era to era, through these develop, the development of covenant. And what, we've, what we end up with at the end of the Old Testament era is, is what we really need to hear is God's opinion about that piece of history, not our opinion, all right? And God was quite good at communicating his opinion. It wasn't very, people weren't very good at listening to his opinion. So the theme of all the covenants really is that God wanted to bind himself to people. He wanted a people. He says, he uses the phrase in Jeremiah the most, that they would be my people and I will be their God. And that same theme is there in Exodus 19 where he's talking to the whole people of Israel. All he wants to do is, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. That, that's, so he's using this thing called covenant to bind himself to humans. God binding himself to humans. 
on purpose because the heartbeat of the Father is to have intimacy with people and he wants people to have intimacy with him. That never changes. <laughs> so that's consistent. It never changes. And you hear the heart of God as you look at the prophets are there to tell the people the heart of God. If you look at Isaiah, look at Jeremiah, even that confusing guy Ezekiel who got lifted up by his hair and saw wheels within wheels and had to lie on his side for 300 odd days and eat food cooked over dung and all that kind of crazy stuff that doesn't mean anything to us but meant a lot to them. But Ezekiel says this, that God looked for a man among them who'd stand in the gap but he didn't find one. That's God's opinion about what was going on. He was looking, people weren't responding. Jeremiah, uh, uh, this is one of my favorite verses, <coughs> Jeremiah thirteen eleven says this, for as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man. So Jeremiah had been told by God to take, in modern terms, to take a pair of underpants and bury them and then go and dig them up again. And then when he dug them up and they were even more skanky, he gives him this prophetic word. And the prophetic word is that as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so that's pretty intimate, right? Don't need to say more than that. So I made, listen, I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise and a glory. That's the heart of God. I made them, I made them, I bound them to me in an intimate place that they would be a people, a name, a praise and a glory. But the worst part of the verse is the last phrase. But they would not listen. Hosea The prophet Hosea, you've read it not that long ago, God tells him to marry a harlot. So he tells him to go marry an unfaithful woman. They have children and she goes off on her whoring again and God tells him to take her back. And and this is what it says in Hosea 3 verse 1, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel I want you to hear the prophet's commentary on Old Testament history it's a God with a heart to have intimacy with people and people rejecting his approaches no matter how he does it so he if you like he tries different ways of revealing himself but consistently the commentary from the prophets is they would not listen. I couldn't find one. And occasionally you get one. You get an Abraham, you get a Noah, you get a Moses, and it's like God rushes in, and that's where he, he makes his covenants with these people. He's like, I found somebody who's got a heart for me. Let, let, let's reproduce this thing that we have. But then condis- consistently it, it, it falls away. 2 Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support 
those whose hearts are completely his. He just didn't find many. The commentary of the prophets is they wouldn't listen. The commentary of the prophets is they acted as adulterers rather than faithful lovers of the Father. And Jesus agrees with the prophets. So Matthew 23, you know, Jesus, he's, he's, he's going to have the last word on this. His view of history is, Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. You hear the heart of the Father. I sent you the prophets and you killed them. I sent more and you killed them. You even see that in one of the parables that Jesus said about the vineyard and that the, 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 the owner goes away and he leaves it in the hands of, of, of stewards to manage it and then he sends people and they kill them. He's speaking about Bible history. I want to ask you a question. We've spoken and preached here a lot out of Luke 15 about the prodigal son. You know, the parable of the prodigal son often was said by it was the father was more the prodigal than the son. He was more wasteful, more generous, more foolishly generous. When did the father become a good father? Say it louder. something in that parable that we miss if we don't understand that Jesus is making a commentary not just on the return of a sinner but the inability of people to live with a good father he's making a commentary on Bible history because what it produced was religion or rebellion not intimacy even the oldest son who lived in the house never enjoyed the goodies of the house the father turns to him and says, all I have is yours. And his accusation is, well, you never gave me a goat. That's dutiful religion. The other one just wanted to do it his own way and he runs off and we know the story, he spends all the inheritance. The father was always good. The history of the Old Testament, what I'm describing to you through the prophets, the mouth of the prophets, the mouth of Jesus, is man's inability to live with the advances of God not God's inability to live with the presence of man someone preached a sermon it became very famous about sinners in the hands of an angry God I think Bible history is God in the hands of angry sinners They're rejecting a God of their own making. We need something new. We need a different solution. Because it wasn't working. It provably wasn't working. Amen? 
Oh, I could just feel it in the room, huh? Oh, yeah, it wasn't working, yeah. Still thinking about God in the hand of angry sinners, aren't you? Just keep thinking. Yeah. God's primarily wanting relationship with you. In all, all those stories in Luke 15 about the coin, and the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son even, God's, God's the initiator. He's the seeker. You know, the sheep isn't going, I'm going to find my way back to the shepherd. Oh, there you are, Jesus. I got my sat-nav out and I discovered Jesus. I found Jesus. No, Jesus found him. He couldn't find Jesus. You can't find Jesus, but every day, every second of every day, he can find you. He knows where you are. He knows your address. In fact, he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. So he never actually loses you. The experience of being lost is our losing him, not him losing us. Oh, that was a happy thought. Ah, got to move on. <clears throat> Keep thinking. There's a need for something new. So we have the thinner bit of the book is called the New Covenant. And, and we did a bit of this last time, but I want to review it because you know how we've described how the rules, if you like, the principles, the, the way that this relationship was working seem to keep being rewritten. So it's confusing. It's like God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, you know, but one minute you're dying in his presence, the next minute you're dancing in his presence. This is confusing. Listen, Jesus tore the thing apart. I'm just going to give you eight ways that Jesus did it different. He rewrote the rules. He messed it up. And if we don't absorb these eight things, we're, and, and, and more besides, we're in danger of bringing old covenant thinking into new covenant relationship. Paul explicitly says several times that the old covenant is obsolete. Read Ephesians 2. The old covenant is obsolete. Christ in Romans, he says, Christ is the end of the law. The end. E-N-D. Finito. In Italian. So here's a few. I mean, I love these. Jesus introduces. So the new era begins not at the cross. We're so cross-centered we can miss what God did in sending Jesus. I'm not saying the cross isn't important, but without the incarnation and the resurrection, the cross is meaningless and powerless. I've had arguments with Bible-loving people who want to stick us on this side of a cross. There is no body on the cross. There is no body in the tomb. And what that body was and who that body was is incredibly important to what is happening in our lives right now. So the incarnation of Jesus, him being God and man at the same time, so how he, what we learn about him in the Gospels is incredibly important. It's not just the build-up to the big thing. 
the big thing isn't the big thing if he isn't God and man at the same time, and fully so. You happy? That was good. I don't want this just to be a head exercise. We know God experientially and by information, knowledge. It's not a one or the other. Why don't you just pray for someone next to you and ask ask God to help them get it in here. Revelatory encounter. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a moment. Just soak that up. I've said a lot of big things already. Just soak it up in the presence of God. He's for you. The heart of the Father. Oh, so good. Oh, here we go. All right, so here's, 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 there's probably more, but here's eight profound things where Jesus messed us up by changing the whole deal. So Matthew 5, verse 38 says, You have heard what, that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yay for revenge and vengeance. It's actually in the Bible. You can find a verse. If someone pokes you in the eye, poke them back. But then Jesus says, I say to you, so you've heard it said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Oh, hello. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other one also. You're like, that's not, do you know, like that's not a nice, easy progression from eye for the eye to turn the other cheek, is it? It's not like, oh, I could see how that one would lead to the other. It's completely different. Jesus said, you read it in the old this, I'm telling you this. And he's saying, I say, he's saying, I have the authority to change the deal. All right, so he's making a new covenant. He's changing the deal. The new deal is not eye for an eye. The new deal is if someone takes your coat, give him another one. If someone says, walk a mile, go two miles. Very different. Mark seven nineteen. the disciples are eating with unwashed hands. <gasps> we all tell our kids to wash their hands. Don't show them that verse. <laughs> and Jesus said in verse 19, since they're complaining about this, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he says, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, and the, and the little brackets... Thus he declared all foods clean. I mean, in the freedom of Christ, I had a bacon sandwich yesterday. (laughs) Under the old covenant, that was illegal. I mean, if you like eating insects, you can eat them in the new covenant, but not on the old. There was a ton of rules about cloven hooves and creepy crawlies and which fish you could eat and which you couldn't eat and Jesus basically said that's all over, you can eat what you want I declare all foods clean I love those bacon sandwiches but you couldn't even keep pigs in the old covenant, let alone have a have a sandwich of one just throw that one in there, for, who's a bacon fan in the room yeah, all the guys and some women. Look at that. This, 
how can you be a vegetarian and smell bacon? I mean, it really, it really does test your convictions, your commitment to the cause. If you could smell bacon and hold that course. Um, just laugh with me, not at me, all right? Luke, Luke 9. When his, disciples, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, so this is people resisting Jesus. <laughs> this is great. It says, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven? You can just see them rubbing their hands together. Wouldn't that be great? Let's burn a few people. And, and they even add some Bible knowledge. It says, Lord, do you want, can't we just bring some fire from heaven and consume them? Just like Elijah did. Now, Elijah's a major Old Testament figure. It's like, why, don't, why can't we do a bit of that? Come on, you know, you've empowered us. We're awesome. Look at all the things we've done. We've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered. Now let's do the fire thing. Jesus says, uh, hmm. He turned to them and rebuked them and says, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. Oh, I thought we were Holy Ghost people, yeah. Holy Ghost people, we do fire. So what seemed to be legal then is now illegal now. That's confusing. Elijah literally killed scores of soldiers that came to rescue him with fire. Is the disciples feeling all powerful and he's like, eh, wrong spirit now. Well, that's a gear shift. Well, it's more a gear crunch. Luke 4, this is biggie. 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed. He even doesn't quote the whole verse, which is for another time. Yet if you read, read Exodus 4.11, God is making people blind. Here, Jesus is saying, I've come to give sight to the blind. Again, there's not a nice, easy progression from one to the other, is there? They're completely the opposite thing. And, and he illustrates this in John 9. Some of you remember there's a man blind from birth. And the disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the point is there's further teaching about blindness and other things in the Old Testament around Exodus and Leviticus was that actually blindness was a curse because of sin. So this was, if you knew that, this was a legitimate question that the disciples were asking. Was it his sin? I don't know how he sinned in the womb, but anyway. Or his parents' sin that he was born blind. And the reason that, so then it's the one where Jesus spits, he goes... So you will have heard him hocking back. The guy's blind. All he will have done is heard the sound of someone producing phlegm. Jesus produced phlegm and spitting in mud. And then the next thing the guy knows is splat, splat, phlegm produced mud in each eye. Now why would that be important? Because... It's important because he's not just healing his eyes, he's healing his emotions. Because people spat on blind men because they believed they were joining in the curse that God had put on them. So that they were legitimate targets for their disapproval. So 
the blind man wouldn't have seen the person come in. He'll have heard them. He'll have heard them kind of, and he'll have felt it land on him over and over and over again. This time he hears the sound. Jesus doesn't spit on him. He spits in mud, puts the mud in the guy's eyes. He's redeemed that whole experience, and suddenly he goes and washes and and he sees. This is God who's come to give sight to the blind. Matthew 10, 23. I love this one. Jesus says, A new Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. Listen to this. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. What happened to Sodom? Sodom and Gomorrah. It was destroyed. How was it destroyed? Fire. Jesus says, if the miracles he'd been doing had been done in Sodom, he would have survived. They would have repented. There would have been salvation for Sodom if Jesus had been there. He's saying there's a piece of Bible history recorded on the inspiration of the Spirit. Don't let it shape your current expectations of how God works. I am here. I am changing everything. The miracles that I'm doing would cause a sin city to repent and remain. The miracles I'm doing would have caused that sin city to repent and remain to this day. This is a new day. I'm changing everything. More? John 8, you'll know this well, 4 and 5, there's a woman caught in adultery. Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This is the moment where he kneels down and starts drawing in the sand. And, and Jesus, the, the law is clear. If you're caught in the act of adultery, you should die. And Jesus, he does what he does and, and he just sends her away and says, do anybody here condemn you? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Sin that meant death under the old covenant is now treated with mercy in the new. Mercy is triumphing over judgment, not just at the cross, but in the life of Jesus. He's manifesting the true heart of the Father. He replaces judgment with mercy. This is so powerful for us. You know, we can experience sin done to us and sin we do. We can experience people who blow up their lives in all kinds of ways. And what we're not here to do is release judgment on their disaster. 
but mercy. And that mercy triumphs over judgment. What that means is that mercy that Jesus released to that woman heals her brokenness. Your life can be blown up, but it can be healed. He's not going to smite your hinder parts. He's not going to zap you when no one's looking. He's actually releasing mercy to you despite anything you may have done. Even if it was all your fault. And we don't know whose fault this was. This is not the same, people. Is it? This is not the same story as the one we were reading. This this is a big shift. Because Jesus came to show. He said this. I have come to show you the heart of the Father. Unedited, unedited constrained and unpolluted everything else was a shadow a pointer a setting up the deal here is the heart of the father vulnerable and on full display quickly because we're running out of time and we'll land it the leper you couldn't touch lepers they were to live outside the towns Jesus goes up to the leper touches him and says be healed Jesus was more contagious than leprosy. He He changed it. We need to think like this. We are more contagious than darkness. We are more contagious than sickness. We are more contagious than sin. Light is more powerful than darkness. That's what Jesus is modeling through this whole thing. And then finally, just to completely blow our thinking, Mark 10 Moses, it's a discussion about adultery. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, if you just hold on with the kid notice for two minutes and we'll get this done. Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one. The rules allowed divorce in the Old Testament. Remember Old Testament, inspired by God? I, I still believe that. Don't, don't, not, don't hear what I'm not saying. The point is, what's it for? He have clear rules. You're allowed to divorce. You can give her a certificate of divorce. It's spelled out. And Jesus, the Christian in Jesus about this, and he says, That was written because of your hardness of heart. That's not a revelation of the heart of God on the matter. That was written because of what you could cope with, not because of what the Father felt. And that's kind of what I was saying in the introduction is so much of the old is God dealing with what people could cope with rather than fully displaying who he really was. All right, we've got to land this, we've got to land this jumbo jet. 
Are you ready? No, you're not ready, are you? I can tell you're just not ready for this. So all this is going on. You've got people like John who talks about how, how we touched Jesus. We were next to him. We, you know, he leaned his, his head on his chest. He, he listened to all of this stuff. And, and, and the, him and the writers of the New Testament, they, are, they know. They know this. All that I've just talked about, they know that Jesus and that stuff barely fit where they touch. What do we do with it? This is, this is the tension, this was the dilemma, this was the wrestle of the New Testament writers, this was the wrestle of the apostles going, what do we do? Because we've beheld the Lord of glory, we saw him on the cross, we saw him, some of us in the tomb, we saw him raised from the dead, we saw him ascend to heaven on high, we know, we know this is God's ultimate sentence, this is God's ultimate pronouncement, we know it by our experience, but this doesn't make sense to us. So they start to write things. John says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That was really good. Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The writer of the Hebrews says that he is the exact representation of his being. Nothing to be put in and nothing to be taken out. If you want to know the heart of God, if you want to know the will of God, if you want to know the passions of the Father, look at Jesus. He trumps every other covenant and every other revelation. Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. Nothing taken out and nothing to be added in. Jesus is God. There's no more installments to come. I want to say it again. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Can you say it with me? Jesus is God. He's not just my Savior. He's not just the Lord. He's not just coming back. He is God. And I'm out of time. Let's just stand and get our children and do what we need to do. If you can see this, you can receive the heart of the Father because Jesus showed us the Father. He showed us the Father. Father, we want to receive Jesus as God. The fullness of deity in bodily form. The exact representation of his likeness. The one who had the final word, the full word. The logic of heaven displayed to men. We want to lift up Jesus in our belief and our experience and our understanding today. We want to we want to embrace the fullness of God by embracing the fullness of Jesus. Can you do that with me? Just allow yourself to breathe. Allow yourself to breathe in the fullness of God that is the fullness of Jesus. His love, his compassion, his mercy, 
his healing, his triumph over sickness and Satan, his, his, his kindness, his radical obedience. The fullness of Jesus is God. And he dwells inside of us in the same fullness. Christ is in you the hope of glory. You have received fullness in Christ. Soak it in. Christ in us, the Father in us, the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah. <sighs> Nothing taken out. No additions needed. <sighs> Show yourself, Daddy. <sighs> Huh. <sighs>